So uh, what Aria read was a, a pretty long passage. So we're gonna oh, we're gonna not read it again, but I I'm not gonna expect you to remember all of it. So I'm gonna give you just a an outline, my outline um, of it, kind of to to give you my thought process as to why <clears throat> why I'm gonna preach about what I'm gonna preach about today. Again, this is this is the book of James, and we've been talking about how James is always talking about these uh, these two ways of living, right? There's there's the way that is things um, like um, like uh, like being f- playing favorites, right? Or there's uh, the um, being able to talk however you want to talk and to curse those people who have the image of God in them and um, and friendship with the world he talks about today and, and uh, all these things that are evil and are broken and uh, and for the lack of a better word, bad. <laughs> so path A is bad. <laughs> and then there's this other path uh, that is about following Jesus. And it's it's uh, he lifts up these different beautiful things about how there can be no partiality along this path. There, um, the people who walk along this path are careful about how they talk, and their their words and their speech blesses people instead of curses curses them. And and the the tricky bit is that um, both groups think they're following Jesus, right? It's that's the great conundrum of the Christian life is that you can be on the bad path. And think that you're following Jesus. Um, and so uh, he, he's written this letter to these different churches. He's, he clearly says he's written it to several different groups. And so we get to this part, um, this, this chapter, and this two, it covers two chapters, but I really think that the two go together. So it starts out with, um, he, he says, you know, a good life is a peaceable life and, and, and living the, at peace with people. But you... You have this bitter envy and this selfish ambition that's that's alive in your in your group, and what that amounts to is if you buy into selfish ambition, if you buy into bitter envy, you uh, are denying the truth. He says you're living false to the truth. So he starts out with this this idea that they they are living false to the truth by buying into bitter envy and selfish ambition instead of peace. Then he says uh, that they're quarreling and fighting because they're denying this truth, right? That this, this path that they're walking has caused them to quarrel because selfish ambition and bitter envy, I don't know if you know this, but they're not very good for relationships, <laughs> right? Like, just in case, we'll blow your world right now. They're not very good. Uh, so then he says, and he, then he says that, that they're acting like compatriots of the world. Okay, it says don't be a friend to the world is the way most of them translate translate it, but clearly that's not uh, that's not the same thing as like going to coffee with somebody who's not a believer or some, you know something like that. That's not what he means by being friend of the world. He's being being on the world's side, right? Being on the world's side, being a compatriot with the world, casting your your allegiance in with them. And, uh, and then he says, the last part is about the truth. That the truth is not, uh, not selfish ambition and bitter envy. 
The truth is uh, that we all have reason to be humble before our gracious God. All right, he, he says things like God has, uh, has this jealous spirit for us and he opposes our pride. So that's the truth is God is in opposition to your selfish ambition and your bitter envy. But on the other hand, he loves those who humble themselves before him and he will exalt those who are humble so that the truth for us is humility. Nobody can stand before the cross and stand over it. Nobody can stand before the resurrection and stand over it. Right? How many of you have defeated death? So that, <laughs> so that should be a humbling thing, right? None of us even has any power over death. So Jesus defeats death. Our proper place before him is a place of humility. That's the truth. The truth is that pride is always based on something false. Even when it's a pride that comes from, from actually being good at something, right? So that if, uh, if I, I don't know, if I started my own business and my business soared over the first three years and I sold my business for a whole lot more money than I put into it, right? And I could, I could go on and do talks around the nation about uh, entrepreneurship or something. But then if I allow that accomplishment to be a, pride, a source of pride in my life, what pride does is it belittles other people and props me up above them. But here's the thing. The truth is, is that if I did that great successful thing, it would mean squat about how I compare to other human beings and my worth for other human beings toward, compared to them. It doesn't mean a thing. That's the falseness, right? That's the false part of it. That we are always tempted to throw in our lot with the world because the world builds a hierarchy out of people based upon successes and ba based upon failures. But at the church, at our base level, no matter how holy you are, you still need the cross and you still need the resurrection and you still need Jesus to come and save you and rescue you and be your Lord and your savior. And so you can build and build and build and none of it changes that. No matter what you do, no matter what we accomplish, none of it changes that so that we all come to the cross the same. We all come to the resurrection the same. We all approach Jesus with just as much in our, uh, in our ability to bargain with him. We all have nothing. So this bitter envy and this selfish ambition are directly oppositional to the truth of the gospel. Now that doesn't mean there's, I, I want to, I want to just, this wasn't in like my notes or prep or anything, but I'm just thinking when, when the Bible talks about pride, I don't think that's the same, same, um, same thing as like a sense of accomplishment or like joy, right? So go back to the whole like entrepreneur thing. Pride doesn't mean that you're not excited about what happened. Pride doesn't mean that you just be, or not being prideful doesn't mean that you should, um, you know not tell anybody about it because because then you might be prideful. I, th I think when the Bible's talking about pride, pride is often a relational thing. Like, I think I'm better than you, or I think I'm better than these other people, or I think we are better than these other people. Um, I think I, at least, one of my, I actually had 
this is where I'm about to go off the rails, so we'll see what, what comes of this. But I actually had a humility notebook in, uh, in high school because I was so terrified of being uh, seen as prideful or being actually prideful that I had this whole notebook that uh, when someone would give me a compliment, I had uh, hypothetical answers, <laughs> responses. Like I had like a hundred of them. Okay, what can I say that will not make me like seem prideful to them? That would not make what would be a humble response when you run a good race as a as a runner, right? Like, and somebody says, "Good job." Like, I couldn't just say thanks, <laughs> like, right? Because because the church, for all of its all of its goodness, had had for some reason I had gotten this shameful understanding of what pride was that I couldn't take any sense of accomplishment. In, in good things in my life. And I, I think that that is not typically what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about pride. I think typically, if, if somebody says, you ran a good race and you say back, yeah, it was a lot better than the rest of those slobs, that's pride, <laughs> right? <laughs> if somebody says, boy, good job in your race, and you say thanks, not necessarily pride, right? Um, pride also tends to have a lot more to do with the heart, but um, that's, that's another sermon too. But this, this bitter envy and this selfish ambition, I want you to see how it eats away at the very foundation of our faith. That when we, when we begin to believe that I am better than someone else, what we have done is we have reduced the quality of the cross. Because what we've essentially said, or what happens in the church functionally is, I need it less than you need it. And that is being false to the truth. That is being false to the truth. Because the truth is we all need to humble ourselves before God. And if exaltation happens, the only one who does it is Jesus. Jesus is the one who does the exalting. None of us. We don't get to decide. The very next paragraph from the book of James is about God's judgment. Okay, And it says, you don't get to judge your neighbor or your brother and sister. Right, so that that is a continuation of this this line of thought and line of thinking. That when we do that, what we are doing is we're being false to the gospel, false to the truth. We are saying, I have some kind of quality inside me that is good enough and better than you enough that now I can stand over you as judge. But you can't. There is not that quality in you. That quality is singular. Jesus is the only one who has that ability, that right. So, um, so this is about being false to the truth, the truth of the gospel, bitter envy and selfish ambition. So uh, I, uh, I was thinking about this and made me think about Superman. Because <laughs> uh, uh, Elliot loves... Elliot loves superheroes, and he loves to ask me to draw superhero, superheroes. And so I tried to draw Superman for him recently, and, and it, it didn't go too poorly, but it was, it was kind of fun. And then, then like the Superman movies are on Netflix right now, like the ones from the 70s, so I, I'm, I'm watching those. And so, of course, it made me think of Superman. Um, but I was thinking about this selfish ambition and this bitter envy. Is, both of those have to do with standing out, don't they? Right? To, to be marked as different. Does that make sense? I think 
This is why uh, this sermon is, is a great sermon to preach to a bunch of pastors and it's sort of silly for a pastor to preach to other people because like what I do is different from what you do. You know what I mean? Like there's a whole lot of temptation for me to buy into this passage because just functionally my job and my role here is different, right? And so, uh, so I, this is as much a sermon for me as anybody else because I have encountered pastors who I don't really want to emulate because I'm afraid that I will. Um, this idea of being a super Christian, you'll notice I edited. That is not my drawing for Elliot, by the way. That's my, I wish. Um, the, uh, instead of just one S, it's, or just the S, it's the SC, the super Christian. Um, this desire to stand out, right? This desire to like be different than the rest of the rest of the plain normal Christians. And uh, I'm going to just really be honest like that is that's been a temptation of mine since the first Bible study I went to. Right. It talks about fleeing from Satan in this. Like if 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 there's any like number one temptation uh, for me, it's, yeah, I want to be different. I want to I want to I want people to want to listen to what I have to say. But the truth of the gospel is I'm not different. The truth of the gospel is you are not different. Now you have different qualities, different accomplishments, different gifts, and they're all wonderful. You have different failures and different different sense of your brokenness, different evidences for uh, your need for Jesus. But at the basic level, we're the same. There is no super Christian. I was thinking... Um, Ken Oldham, our, our missionary to uh, to Cairo in the Middle East, he um, he sent out his newsletter just like last week, and in it, in it, he talked about how he's he's been going to Paris a lot because the church God in Paris has become the hub for uh, ministry to refugees in Paris, and so so they've needed a lot of extra support in the last uh, couple of years, and so Ken's been going there, and he met this guy from this. Uh, French citizen who grew up in a North African country, which he couldn't name. And this, this guy who goes to that church, the Church of God in Paris was telling Ken about his homeland. And his homeland, Christianity, is, uh, it is uh, illegal. And so everybody has to, uh, all the churches are house churches, and they meet underground, and they meet at night, or they meet before the sun rises. And, uh, and Ken was, and the, this guy kept, just kept telling Ken, I want you to come and visit. I want you to come and visit. And so Ken recently got the opportunity to go and visit. And, uh, and he was talking about this, going to these different house churches at night. And he's talking about their struggle. And he's talking about the, what they go through. And he's talking about what it's like to be in that kind of church situation. And I suddenly was like, if there is a super Christian... <laughs> Like, that seems a lot more like it than kind of the easy stuff that I got going on. You know, how often, how often do we elevate and give kind of super Christian status to our preachers who can fill stadiums? And I wonder, I wonder if there, if, if there are, uh, if there are mansions in heaven and, uh, uh, I wonder if those house church folk who are working so hard in their life, is broken or their life is so at the edge 
of health, of safety. I wonder if we might have it backwards sometimes on what we celebrate as a Christian accomplishment. That that temptation inside me to kind of stand out, that that is just a complete and total lie. That there is no benefit, no Christian, spiritual, eternal benefit to standing out. That this humble servanthood of these people that I will never know the name of, because it would risk their lives if I knew their names. Who get not one iota of glory. And so this, this passage, I think, is crucial for us as we, um, as we work together to build this church. And yes, this church is like 104 years old or something, but we're still building it, right? That's just the nature of, of, of what we're doing. But as we build it together, as we look to Christ, as we interact with one another, as we choose what kind of ministries we're going to do and what kind of ministries we're going to participate in, and as we choose in how we're going to interact in those ministries, let us remember that the truth of the gospel has to be central. So when, when people come in on, on Wednesday nights, it's not us standing up over anybody. Right? They're just people. Every single one of them needs God, is loved by God, is someone who Jesus bled and died for and wants, as it says, jealously wants to dwell within them. And that is the truth about every human being on this planet. So let us keep that central truth central. May it be central to what we do here on Sunday mornings. May it be central to what, to what I do um, as your pastor, as a preacher. May it be central to what happens on the stage. May it be central to the prayers that you share with one another. May it be central to just our greeting time. That we are a place where every human knows that God jealously wants to dwell within them. There, I want to just... Uh, remind you that, that this is not the first time that James is, is talking about this because it's, it's a big enough problem in the church. It's a big enough problem in the church that it kind of has to be said over and over again. And so James says it in, in 2.10 when he's talking about um, the breaking of the law and he, he's talking about the usefulness of, of works um, and, and how works and faith must, must go together. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become accountable for all of it. And, and he's, he's talking about in this passage, in this section, he's talking about how we can't stand over one another and, and judge each other. And so my sin is equal to your sin. My brokenness is equal to your brokenness. And my exaltation in Christ is equal to your exaltation in Christ. We can't forget Never forget that when we humble ourselves before Jesus, when we admit our sin, when we admit our brokenness, when we admit our need for him, that is not so he can hit us over the head. That is not so that he can say, yeah, you really were dumb and stupid, and I'm glad you finally said, said so, right? When we do that, he lifts us up, and then he bends down and washes our feet. At least that's what I think. It could not look like that, I don't know, but... That's my experience. That he lifts us up. 
And so I, I just uh, I want to give you the um, just a, a passage where Jesus essentially encapsulates all this. Um, whoa, it's going to be early. Um, I should never do that. As soon as I say that, that means that like 10 more minutes is coming out of me for sure. Um, but it is not so among you because uh, James and John have asked that if they can sit at the left and the right hand of, of, of Jesus when he enters into his kingdom. And, and, uh, and then the other disciples get really mad about that. And Jesus says, um, he says, among the Gentiles, remember that their rulers lorded over them, right? The rulers, it, it, selfish ambition and bitter envy in, in the world are good things, right? Selfish ambition and bitter envy can get things done in the world. They are the, uh, the mode of operation in the world. And so uh, Jesus says this, he says, but it's not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. For the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that the, the truth of the gospel is that we all become servants in his likeness. Now, I don't. I, I want to say and end with, you all have taught me more about this than anybody ever. Right? So this is not some guilt trip sermon. I love to watch you serve. I love, I love it when somebody comes in who's new, somebody who's broken. Somebody who's really hurting. And when they talk to me about the way you all treat them, sometimes it makes me want to cry that the truth of the gospel is alive in you. But hold on to that. Because that can go in the blink of an eye. Hold on to that. Hold tight to the truth that we all are in need of what Jesus has done. That there is no place for bitter envy and selfish ambition. But there's lots and lots and lots of room for serving out of love. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for for treating us so much better than we deserve. Thank you for longing to dwell within us as, as we are and not as we should be. Thank you that when we, when we come to you and we beg for mercy, when we come to you and we admit our sin and we come to you and we admit our brokenness and our struggles and, and our doubts and all that we are, when we come to you like that, when we lower ourselves, that you lift us up. God, may that central truth continue to drive us. May your spirit continue to lead us and may we continue to reach our hands out to follow. God, may this be a place where the brokenhearted come and are seen and are known, do not feel looked down upon, but sense that there is a God here among us wants to dwell within them. May this good truth about you 
be, be a truth that is alive and well and thriving among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.